Morning. If you're well. Like Paul says, we're carrying on our series, Acts, the message and the mission. And, you know, Ben spoke last week and he talked about the book of Acts and how it was written by Luke. And Luke had written this first book where he talked about the life of Jesus and what had gone on, that Jesus had come and Jesus' teachings and his healings and the miracles and that Jesus died and rose again. And then he wrote the book of Acts as a second letter that he sent off. And in it, he wanted to let the people know about what happened after Jesus ascended. To let the people know, well, what did happen to those disciples that Jesus left? What happened with this promise of the Holy Spirit that they said would come? What actually happened next? It's like when you go... I remember going to the cinema some time ago and watch, going to watch The Hobbit. And I'm really into J.R.R. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And it's been a favorite story of mine since childhood. And I remember going to watch The Hobbit. And I hadn't really looked at it in any detail before we went. I was just so excited. And we went and I'm thinking, this film's taking its time. It's nearly two hours. And it's like three installments. I didn't realize when I went for the first one. So it got to the end and I was like, well, I want to watch the next one. And then you have to wait, to wait. For, I mean, fortunately, I'd read the book, so I knew what was going to happen. But it was really annoying because you're like, well, what's going to happen next? It's when you watch things like Sherlock and you're like, what's going to happen next? We were... We, we love to watch series of things and you get to the end and you think, I've got to wait a whole week to see what's going to happen next. We've started to wait until the series is over and then just binge watch on iPlayer or Amazon because it just gets rid of the intensity of the week of wondering. And you know, for so many people that have heard this story of Jesus, well, well, well what happens next? And that is what the book of Acts comes to tell us. It comes to tell us this is what happens next. This is what happened to the people who believed. This is what they accomplished. And this is what happened when the promise of the Holy Spirit came. There was a message that was given throughout Jesus' life. His life was a message. And when he ascended, he left a mission, the great commission that he commissioned the disciples to do. And the book of Acts begins to tell that story of the mission that the disciples went on. That the Holy Spirit led them through and took them on. And that Jesus, although he'd ascended to heaven, didn't actually leave them, but stayed with them through the Holy Spirit. And very often we hear about God the Father and God the Son. And some people can think, well, you know, it's just, it's just old history. It's 2,000 years ago. But the benefit that we have as Christians is the Holy Spirit isn't old history. The Holy Spirit wasn't here 2,000 years ago, died on a cross and rose again. And that's the end of it. The Holy Spirit is here every single day. Our faith is alive and God is alive today in and through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Let me read to you from Acts 1, verses 1 to 5. And it says, Dear Theophilus, 
In my first book, I wrote about all of the things that Jesus did and taught from the time he began his work until the day he was taken up to heaven. Before he was taken up, he gave instructions by the power of the Holy Spirit to the men he had chosen as his apostles. For 40 days after his death, he appeared to them many times in ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and he taught with them about the kingdom of God. And when they came together, they gave, he gave them this order. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift I told you about, the gift my father promised. And then verse 8 says this, and Ben read this verse last week. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Ben spoke last week about the Holy Spirit comes to bring power and comes to enable you to be a witness. And that's brilliant. But if it's just a promise and it's not actually alive in you, then where is the power and where is the ability to witness? And you know, it's not a new promise that Jesus made at the end of the Gospels. It's an old promise. It's a promise that God gave. If we look in Ezekiel 11 verse 19, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit comes to bring regeneration to your life. Joel 2 says this, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Put your hand up if you belong to the all category. If not, there's something wrong with you. Because all is all. It's everybody. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The promise of the Holy, Holy Spirit is a promise from the Old Testament. But it's also a promise in the New Testament that Jesus promised. We see in John 7, 37 to 39, he says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, his scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. And John 14 says this, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. So if you look back at Christianity and think, well, all this Jesus stuff's great, but it's 2000 years ago. Jesus promised another helper who will stay with you forever. You're never alone. Jesus isn't some old religion. Because of the Holy Spirit, he is here today with us now. He is the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. The world cannot receive him because it cannot see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and is in you. When I go, you will not be left alone. I will come back to you. It's not an old promise that has not been fulfilled. And we're going to find out that now.
And the first thing I think we can take from this Acts scripture, Acts 1, where it talks about waiting for the promise, is the importance of waiting. Those of you who know me well know that I'm not very patient and I don't like to wait. It really is not my forte. I'm really not very good at it. Paul is smiling at me. He knows this very well. I don't like to queue. I don't like to wait for appointments. I don't like to wait in the traffic. I don't like it when people pull out on me and I have to wait a little bit longer to get where I'm going. I do not like to wait. I'm working on my patience. It is growing slowly in me. But I understand as well, even though I don't like to wait, I understand that waiting is important. And I understand that there's an importance that comes with waiting. So I've got a bit of a conflict as I do this this morning, but I understand how important waiting is. And you may think, well, I don't mind waiting, actually. I find it quite relaxing. Fair enough. But some of you may think, yeah, I'm with you, Sarah. I don't like to wait. I don't like to queue. I don't like things to be delayed. I don't like to do that. Wherever you sit in those extremes or maybe somewhere in between, I'm hoping you can get something from this point this morning. Now, the disciples waited 10 days in Jerusalem, which really isn't a massive amount of time. But when you're sitting in a room, you're scared for your life. Jesus has disappeared. Every knock on the door, you think, is Roman soldiers coming to take you away and crucify and kill and torture you. 10 days is a long time. 10 days was an extremely long time for them to wait. There was hundreds and hundreds of years of promise that had gone into this, yet they waited 10 days. And you know, when you look back through the Bible, it's not unnormal that people had to wait. Abraham waited 25 years for his promised son. God promised him a son, and you, Ethan Bobby, thought, woohoo, 25 years later. That's a lot of trying for a child. 25 years later, they had a son. Some of you are just catching on, aren't you? If you didn't get it, I'll explain later. Moses waited 40 years to go back to Egypt from where he had come and murdered somebody and God had promised him that he'd deliver these people. He tried to do it in his own strength. He ran away as a murderer lived a life for 40 years tending sheep with his father-in-law before God called him back to go and deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And more recently, Jackie Pullinger, a, a missionary out in Hong Kong, prayed daily for 15 minutes for over six weeks before she started to see people come to faith. There is something in the waiting Otherwise, why would we continue to see it throughout the Bible, possibly throughout your lives, when you look and you think, I have had to wait. I see in the Bible people who have had to wait. What is there in the waiting? I think there can be a revelation of our true motives. There's a growth period that can happen. There's character to be formed. There's a steadfastness that can come from nowhere else. There may be a lesson that God wants you to learn. There may be a trust in God's timing and not in your own strength. For me, I think most importantly, it's often been a surrender of control and of trying to do things myself. 
But in the waiting, if you are willing to allow it, there will come a greater intimacy with God than you will find anywhere else. So as frustrating and annoying as the waiting can be, God is in the waiting. And you know, waiting often precedes new creation. Many people will wait nine months and then a baby will be born. There's new creation that follows the waiting. Something new, something fresh can come out of a period of waiting. Don't despise that period if you're in it right now. Don't be frustrated in it, although it can be frustrating. Look at what God is trying to show you, what God is trying to say, what God is trying to teach you. Ask him those questions. And in that place, allow him to draw close to you. You know, and as different people, we can react to waiting in different ways. Over the last couple of years, I've spent a number of hours in hospital waiting rooms. And people are very different. There are the people who tap. And they just sit and tap or tap their feet or jig their leg. This is what I do. And it drives Paul up the wall. My legs jig. I'll sit and jig. Can't do it on here because I'm not sitting down. But I will sit and jig my legs because I am waiting and I need to do something with my energy because I really don't want to wait. <laughs> then you get the huffers. <sighs> the next person is called in. <sighs> Well, we all know it wasn't you, don't we? <laughs> then you get people like Paul. Oh, I just love to wait. Oh, I just love to wait. I'm sitting next to him thinking, I'm going to smack you in the face in a minute. You love to wait. You love waiting. You sit there and love it. I'm really frustrated. God, help me to love my husband. In the waiting. Then you have children who are waiting. Beyond, beyond. I want to mess with this. I want to mess with this. Is it my go yet? Mummy, can I go in there? Have you got some sweeties, mummy? Where can I go? Oh, let me touch this. Don't touch that. And then you get the parents of the children who are gently trying to wish the ground would swallow them as they try to control and help their children in the waiting. There is nothing further to say for the poor parents who work through the waiting with their children. But we all respond in so many different ways in the waiting. And then you get the very British tutty. Somebody else goes in. And so often when we're waiting, we can get really frustrated for other people who no longer have to wait for God to move in their life. Well, why is God blessing that person over there? Why have they had a breakthrough in their job? And we can have the holy tongue that goes on. Oh, God's moving over there. Why are you moving over here? Because God's working on your character in the waiting. God's teaching you something in the waiting. Let me read. This is a great quote by Michael Hyatt. View your time in the waiting room as a season of growth and development and you'll find you'll be that much more ready for your moment on the stage. We all want that moment on the stage, whatever that looks like in your life. Whatever it is like, 
But are we willing to go through the waiting room process to develop the character, to learn more about God, to learn the lesson so that we're ready for our moment on whatever our life stage is? Don't let the waiting room steal your time. I, I've so often sat putting our kids to bed, being so frustrated because I want to go and watch this on the TV or I want to go and do that or I just don't want to be sitting on the floor in your bedroom. And Paul said to me not long ago, and it's probably one of the most valuable lessons that I'm beginning to learn. <laughs> just enjoy it while it lasts, lovey. I'd always let that waiting period until the gentle snoring began. Just steal away from me, frustrate me, feel like I was losing my time. When actually, I can use the waiting room as my time, where God can speak to me, where I can pray for my children, where I can sit and read a book, and that's actually all right. Sometimes we get so frustrated in the waiting we miss out on what we can do and accomplish in the waiting. Don't let the waiting room steal from you what God wants to accomplish in your life. Because if you learn to allow God to speak to you, then you'll suddenly find you begin to relax in the waiting rooms of life. And you find your peace in the waiting rooms of life. There is something in the waiting and it's important to find it. And it's when we find it that God allows us to move on. And that was the first thing that I wanted to say to you. The second thing is this, that there's something greater. It talked about in verse 5 and it says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And water baptism, Paul's talked about it this morning. We've got Baptism Sunday coming up. It is a key and pivotal point in your Christian faith. If you've never been baptized, it, it's a milestone. And there are things that you will never reach until you've done that. There are things past it that you need to get to that can only be got to through being baptized, through the act of obedience. So if you've never been baptized, go and sign up. Come and speak to somebody. Go through the baptism training and find out more about it. Because baptism brings a cleansing. It brings a washing. It symbolizes that turning away. It is a public declaration of what you believe that no one can take away from you. It's you saying, I lay everything of me down. God, lift me up and let me live for you. And that's amazing. But the most amazing thing is, is there's something even greater than that. It's like getting two flakes in your ice cream for free. With sauce and nut sprinkles thrown on. Win it. You love it when the ice cream man puts you some sauce on and then he sticks it in the nuts and you think, woohoo! <laughs> That's just me then. <laughs> I like that anyway. But there's something greater that is coming. And that something greater is the Holy Spirit. God promised the Holy Spirit to those who believed. God promised the Holy Spirit for you and for me to walk with us 
to, to bring fruit out in our lives like patience and joy and peace and faithfulness to help those character things develop within us that we just can't do by ourselves. To give gifts so that we can help and inspire others and to walk with us and to help us through life's journey. The Holy Spirit baptism comes to bring many, many things. But I want to touch on two things this morning. The first of which is that the Holy Spirit comes to bring a purpose. And some scriptures are going to come up. I'm not going to read them, but they'll come up for your reference. The first one is Exodus 31, 3 to 5. And the Holy Spirit came to add new direction. Basil was was an artist and he was needed at that time for what they were looking to build and to do. The Holy Spirit came upon him to equip him in that season for the new direction that they wanted to take. In Judges 6, 15, we see the Holy Spirit come and add confidence and leadership to Gideon. Gideon who was hiding away and afraid. Yet the Holy Spirit came and brought what nothing else could bring. We see in Isaiah 61 that the Holy Spirit adds prophetic and preaching gift of preaching that good news. You know, if you find it hard to tell people about Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. If you need some, something to help you at work, be, to be more artistic and to bring something new, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. If you're afraid and timid wherever you are, then ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Because we see just from these three examples... And there are many, many more. When the Holy Spirit came and touched individual lives in the Old Testament, then their lives were changed and transformed. The Holy Spirit came and brought purpose to each and every one of them. The Holy Spirit can come and bring purpose to your life today. And can change and transform not only your destiny, but the destiny of the world and the people around you. In Acts, we see men who were hiding away and were afraid and terrified. Men who had lied so that they didn't get caught a few chapters before in the Gospels. Men who were too afraid to go and watch their Lord and Savior be crucified because they thought the same would happen to them. Men who locked the door and cowered away. We see that when the Holy Spirit comes on them, they are transformed into bold men who've got a message to share and go on a mission all across the Roman Empire. Men who were no longer, and women who were no longer afraid of what could happen to them, but suddenly have a purpose greater than that of preserving their own life, greater than that of what they want. And so often the things that we want and the things that we want to see in our lives can take over the purpose that the Holy Spirit has for us. And that's why we need to lay them down, surrender ourselves to God and allow the purposes of God into our lives so that that purpose can be outlived as the Holy Spirit leads us. And if you want to know more about that, come tonight because that's what I'm speaking on. I'm excited. Somebody else is too. The Holy Spirit also comes not only for purpose, but also for unity. And Paul spent the last three weeks speaking on one anothering. And it's not always easy to one another, but when the Holy Spirit comes and helps us, it can be life transforming. Acts 2, 42 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in a couple of weeks' time, when Paul speaks on Pentecost, you'll see that this scripture follows that outpouring of the Spirit. So following an outpouring of the Spirit comes fellowship and being devoted to one another, comes one anothering. So if you find it hard with one another, if you find it hard in your family, if you find it hard sharing things with people, if you find it hard connecting and ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Ask him to be your guide. The only way that so many different and various people can come together and get on and make things so amazing happen that do in the church is because of the unity of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Just have a look at the person next to you. That's the Holy Spirit, that is. God is an amazing God and knows exactly what we need to help us to one another, to help us to get along, to help us to see past our differences, because we have them, and that's okay, to help us to see past the things where we rub each other up the wrong way, and that's okay. The Holy Spirit is there to give us wisdom and guidance as we look to one another. And you know, it's so easy to be artificial and fake. It's so easy to say, everything's fine with me. My family life's wonderful and my workplace is wonderful and, oh, praise the Lord. But you know, I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit at home because I shout at my kids and then I feel terrible after because I get annoyed with my husband Because members of my family aren't easy and we could fall out. I need the Holy Spirit to come and help me to love, to help me to be kind. Because when I try in my own strength, I get it so wrong. And I sit in the guilt that I could feel. But the Holy Spirit comes and washes and cleanses and helps us to receive from God that forgiveness that we need when we don't always get it right. And I know I don't. Holy Spirit, I need you at home. I need you as a mum. I need you as a wife. I need you in my family. I need you in my job. I need you as we try and lead this church. The Holy Spirit comes to provide that unity that we need, where otherwise the enemy would try and come and steal, kill and destroy But the way we stop him is by staying unified and staying together and working together. There's something greater. And that something greater is the Holy Spirit. And you know, the last thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that it is the personal promise. In Acts 2, 38 to 39, we see this. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all, say all, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then in Acts 19 too, 
It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. So water baptism. They replied, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a personal promise. It's for you, each and every one of you. If you've not made that step and believed, we can do that this morning. But once you've done that, have you received that personal promise? Because that was the first thing that Paul asked when he got to Ephesus. Because he knew that without it, it's like sticking the TV on and leaving it on standby and there's nothing to watch. We need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's great to have the TV on the wall and it looks wonderful. But if you don't turn it on, then it provides nothing for you. You've got to plug in to the Holy Spirit and turn it on and take the standby off so that the power and that the joy and that the peace and that the helper who is there to help you can actually come and do his work in your life. Otherwise, it's just, well, that just looks lovely, doesn't it? I want that power within me that will transform and change me. And it's personal to you and you and you and you and every single one of you. It is personal. John 7, 37 says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, we've read this once before, those of you who remember, let anyone, say anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. It's for anyone. If you didn't think you fitted into the all category, you definitely fit into the anyone category. And if you don't fit into any of them, just come anyway. Because it's a personal promise for you. And I can stand and say this forever. But sometimes there are things that stop us from accessing that personal promise. And that very often is where we all stop. And there are probably many more than this. But I've just picked three this morning to very quickly look at. Doubt. Fear and inadequacy. All stop us from accessing that promise of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in our lives and help us and support us and work with us on a daily basis. And if you look at Luke again in his book, Luke in his book, look, look in his book, whichever way you want to say it, I don't care. But if you look, at Luke, in his book that he wrote, though it's called Luke, he says this in Luke 11. And I believe in Luke 11 are the answers to fear, to doubt, and to inadequacy. 
So if you can catch hold of these, if you've got fear, if you've got doubt, and you've got inadequacy that are preventing you from drawing near to God, that are preventing you from receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, then these are the things that you can tackle and break down this morning. So when you come to refresh tonight, because you really do want to come, then God can fill you afresh and his Holy Spirit can be poured out on you. So doubt. Luke 11, verses 9 and 10. So we doubt that we're loved. We doubt that it's for us. Oh, God didn't mean it for me. Not me. Surely not me. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I commit too many sins. We doubt ourselves and think, oh, no, I can't do it. Oh, I can't. I can't do that. We doubt that we're ready. Oh, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not ready. I don't feel ready to do that yet. I'll come next time. We doubt. But this is what Luke says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For anyone who asks receives and anyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So when you say that you're not good enough, ask and it'll be given to you. When you doubt that you love, seek and you'll find. When you're not sure, I'm sure it's not me. Knock and the door will be opened. Six times in that verse. Verses. Six times. Ask, knock, seek. And then again, just in case you missed it, ask, knock, seek, because it will come to you. No doubt that God is not talking to you. You belong in the category of all and everybody and anyone. God is talking to you. There is no doubt. If you have doubt, lay it aside because God is calling you and wants to pour out his promise upon you. The second thing I talked about is fear. Luke eleven thirteen. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how the good gifts, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. But I have such a fear of the unknown. I'm afraid I'm not going to be in control. I'm going to have to let go. I don't like letting go. It scares me. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will plant that fear in you to keep you as far away from God as he can. But God comes to bring life in all of its abundance. So there is no fear in what God wants to give to you. There is no fear in what he can provide for you. Do not be afraid. He is a good, good father. The third one is inadequacy. Let's look at Luke eleven thirteen. We've just looked at it. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven... Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And we all feel inadequate, don't we, at times? I'm not good enough. I don't look good enough. I don't feel good enough. 
I don't look like they look. I don't say things like they say things. I'm not as clever as those people. I can't do it the way other people do it. I just don't feel like, why would God want to give it to me? Because he loves you. Think about the person you love the most in the world. And if you're not a mom or a dad, there's always somebody that we love the most in the world. And if they asked you for something, would you give you some, something that would hurt them? We wouldn't, would we? How much more will God give us good things? There is nothing that says you're not good enough to receive it. There is nothing to say that there is anything to be afraid of because God is a good, good father. Romans 8, 14 to 16 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So the Spirit that you receive doesn't what's the word, doesn't enslave you, doesn't squash you and put you in a place that's horrible. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. There is no fear in God. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. You're not inadequate anymore. You are adopted in as a son and a daughter to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When the Spirit comes and dwells within you, it removes all inadequacy because it resonates with God who says, you are my son, you are my daughter. It's like catch 22. You want to break free from fear and doubt and inadequacy, but you need the Spirit of God to do it, but you're afraid of the Spirit of God because you don't know what he's going to do. And then you think, well, I'm not good enough for the Spirit of God. And then you find yourself like a woo, stuck in the middle of it. God is a good, good father. And if you don't know, and if you're unsure, then trust us and let us pray with you. And let the Holy Spirit come and fill you afresh and break you free from those things. And allow him to guide you in your waiting. Allow him to bring something greater than you've ever known before that will equip you like he's equipped the early church to go out and change the dynamics of the world. If the band want to come and join me, that would be great. You know, for years and years, I grew up in a Church of England church, and I believed in God, I believed he was real, and I went and I served and I did many things, but it wasn't until I came to this building in the church that was here at the time, and I met with the Holy Spirit, and he transformed my life. Because before, I'd been lost and I'd been broken. Before, I'd got nothing that would help me to break free from the things that bound me. And I was so bound in my life. I was bound with depression. I was bound with inadequacy. I was bound with fear. And I was bound with doubt. I was bound with how I looked at myself. 
I was so bound. And then suddenly God came and filled me with his spirit. And there was a freedom and a journey that I began where the chains began to fall off. And all I can say to you is, if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then what he's done for me, because I'm nobody special, I just fit into that all and everybody category, what he has done for me, where he has set me free from depression, where he has broke the chains of anorexia and bulimia over my life, where he has broke the chains of where I used to self-harm, where he has broken the chains of how I looked at myself and hated myself, where he's broken those chains in my life, that he can do the same for you. And all you need is to allow him in and to trust. And I want to encourage you, come to refresh tonight, because there'll be time where we can pray. And I'm going to carry on talking about the Holy Spirit. But let's just stand, and I just want us to pray together as we close this morning. And you know, no matter where you're at this morning, we can go on a journey and we can pray together. So Father God, we just ask, God, that you bring forgiveness where we need to be forgiven. God, I ask that for people who have never made that commitment to you, and for the first time, I want to say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to invite you into my life. Jesus, that you would begin that work. God, we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us where we've pushed the Holy Spirit away. Forgive us where other things have taken precedent in our lives. And God, we ask this morning that you would fill us afresh with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us. Come and remove that fear and that doubt. And as you do, won't you bring those gifts so that we can grow in patience in the fruit of your spirit. So that we can help and support one another. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you keep filling us day by day. Day by day. That you keep coming. That you keep filling us. And as we wait and we trust in you, that we would learn the things that you want to say to us. That we're believing for something greater in our lives. God, come again and fill and refresh us. Holy Spirit, be that one that walks with us. We thank you that you are here now. In Jesus' name. And if you've prayed for the first time and asked God to just come and fill you, then come and speak to us at the end. We'd love to give you a Bible and chat with you. But let's just, as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, come and fill and refresh us again. Holy Spirit, come and wipe away all fear and doubt and inadequacy. Holy Spirit, come and lift us. Let us soar like eagles. Amen.